So this morning, Pastor Rusty is on holidays for the next three weeks, um, and thankfully, I did not have to preach for three weeks because there's a lot of stuff under my job description at Christmas, and it would have been crazy. So I'm really thankful this morning for Howard Moore. He's a member of our church, and today will not only be um, opening up by sharing with all of you about the missionaries that we support as a church. That's something we've not done in a long time. So we thought it was a good time to just kind of refresh all of you on the ministries and people that we support around the world as a church, um, but also going to bring the message from the Word. So Howard, why don't you come up and I will pray for you. Father, thank you um, for this brother who is a part of our congregation, um, who has done work around the world, who has been on the, the other side of the missionary relationship and still is. Um, yeah, I just pray that now as he um, tells us about these people who we support, that we could be reacquainted with them, and also as he brings a message from your word, that we would be encouraged and challenged, uh, that your spirit would use this um, to create change, that we would be sanctified by it, and that it ultimately would result um, and more people coming to know you. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. I consider it a privilege to be able to share with you. Uh, if you'll excuse me, I just want to make sure I get things set up the best. I'm not used to necessarily wearing this, but... Anyway, I consider it a privilege not only to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning, but actually on behalf of the Missions Advance Team, we used to be called the Missions Committee, um, but uh, we are the MAT now, the Missions Advance Team of our congregation. And we would like to uh, take this moment because there's been quite a pause because of uh, covid uh, and just the fact that sometimes we weren't even in the building and so forth, we just have not had the chance to be able to spend a little bit of time just introducing, reintroducing to many of you, but some of you who are new to our church, introducing to you the missionaries and the ministries that we support as a church through prayer and financial gifts. Before I get into read out who they are and just explain a little bit about their ministry, I'd like to mention that as you come in, those of you that come in from the parking lot on the north door here, I call it the north door anyway, kind of northeast, I guess, um, there is uh, right at your left, there's a kind of a board that's there, and you will notice something unique this morning. You may not have noticed it because there hasn't been much change there for many, many uh, weeks, but there is actually all of our, our supporting missionaries, those that we support and ministries we support are all there. You can see photos for some of them. Some of them may not have a photo. That's because we want to be very cautious and careful about giving too much information for them because they work in a very sensitive area of the world. But you'll notice a little bit about them there, so I encourage you to take a look at that. And also, you will notice just up a little bit above of it, there's a monitor. It's all black right at this present time. But very shortly, we will actually be running a video of our different missionaries as well, so that you will have an opportunity to see who they are. Eventually, we'll likely be showing different videos there of uh, some of the ministries that they're involved in as well. So that's kind of our focus area uh, for the ministries and the missionaries that we support. 
But let me just go through uh, very quickly some of the missionaries that we do support. You've likely heard some of these names. Those of you that have been in the church, you're aware of them. Uh, there's really just one, ch one change that we're making for this coming year. I'm going to start off with some of our missionaries. First of all, Doug and Phyllis Trick. Doug, uh, for those of you that have been in church for a long period of time, he actually came to Christ in this church and uh, grew up in this church. And Doug and Phyllis have been involved in translating the Bible with Wycliffe Bible translators in one of the languages, translating the Bible into one of the languages in the southern islands of the Philippines. For a number of years, they lived with their kids in that area in order to learn the language well and begin the translation. But more recently, they've been back in Canada, and Doug teaches and leads the teaching staff at a place called Canil, which is the Canadian Institute of Linguistics, which is the Bible Translation Training Institute uh, located in Langley, B.C., associated uh, with uh, a major school there. And while Phyllis continues to work with a national worker in the Philippines, online, work with her in putting final touches on their translation. Secondly, we have the couple Paul and Allison Emmer. And most of you know Paul and Allison because, of course, they are part of this church. Up until recently, Paul was the director of the Youth for Christ Center here in Stonewall. And during that time, Allison actually started a ministry. And it's a ministry to provide assistance and mentoring to families who are in need in the Stonewall area. It's called Heroic Family Missions. And their whole family is involved, and some other people from the church have been involved in it as well. Because of Paul's physical health issues, he's no longer the YFC director, but they continue to, to minister as a family under Allison's ministry. We continue to support them in prayer and financially, especially during this time. Thirdly, it's Howard and Karen Moore. Now, that's me and my wife, who was here this morning, uh, earlier service. She's not here right now. We've served with a mission organization called Greater Europe Mission for over 35 years. Before then, uh, we were actually from this church. If, if you are fairly new to this church and didn't know that, I used to be the youth pastor and associate pastor in this church before Karen and I went to France. And we were in France for 18 years in evangelism, church planting, and field leadership. Then we returned to Canada in 2004 to live close to Toronto, where I was the Canadian director for our mission, Greater Europe Mission. Then in 2017, I stepped down from that position to move back here to Stonewall. So we have actually done full circle, come back home, and I am now the part-time representative for Greater Europe Mission here on the Prairie Provinces. By the way, my, I do plan to officially retire from Greater Europe Mission in 2022. We have another couple, Akmar and Sarah Erastus, and they minister among Sikhs in Winnipeg and Muslims as well under an organization called Interact, and it's in association with a sister BGC church called City Church 
In fact, we've had joint baptismal services together uh, in the past. Then we have another couple, Sundar and Sarita Thapa. And they are leaders in a number of ministry activities in Nepal under a mission agency called Intercede. They're heavily involved in training and encouraging pastors and evangelists throughout the country of Nepal. Just recently, Sarita is experiencing serious medical issues and continues to need our prayers for healing and extra financial support for uh, medical costs. Some of you may have remembered that actually uh, this past year, while we were still operating online, we did actually put out an appeal to the church people if they would like to support towards uh, her medical expenses, and we had a great response to that. Michael and Eva Fast, they have a ministry with the Baptist General Conference in the Philippines, but because of COVID, they are now residing in Canada. They came back before COVID started, and they are, have not been able to go back. They carry on a ministry online by Zoom and other ways. Another couple that we actually can't give their full name, we call them the Mags. Well, we're just cautious about giving their name because they minister with Baptist Journal Conference in an area of France that we do not, uh, an area of Asia, what am I saying? Well, I don't know if France came to me. An area of Asia that we do not mention publicly so that it doesn't impede their ministry. They are involved as business managers. They actually manage a business, but in the process, they live out and share their faith in Christ. As a matter of fact, recently online, they shared with us on an online Sunday morning service. Then we have Connie Maine Duarte, and she ministers with her family, her husband and family, in Portugal. She's very involved as a local church leader and in a ministry to university students, not only in the country of Portugal, but actually that has an influence in Europe as a whole. We have Ahmad Zewidavi. And he ministers with the Baptist General Conference to Muslims in the Vancouver area and also online around the world. And we have Masood as well, who ministers with the Baptist General Conference to new Canadians settling into the Vancouver area. So you can see through our different missionaries that we support, we do touch different parts of the world and different areas of Canada, but even within Canada, there are some that are ministering with people who come from other parts of the world and in that way have an influence in their own way around the world as well. Now, in addition to these missionaries, we support, through prayer and financial gifts, some ministries as well. Bethel, Rays of Hope Ministries. Now, this ministry provides a home and training for young children, for children at the Bethel Orphanage and School in Kenya. In the process of providing shelter and food, schooling, mentoring, they seek to help these young children become faithful followers of Jesus. Now, there is a large number in our congregation that are involved in a number of ways in this wonderful ministry. And I want to mention that there is a display just outside a table over there by the library 
where you can actually pick up more information, some very recent information about the ministry of Bethel. Silver Bay Bible Camp. Now this camp, led by our own Warren and Shelley Erickson, provide a deeply appreciated ministry of evangelism and, chill and discipleship to children and youth in the interlake. A large number, again, of our members in this church are involved in the camp each summer, helping in a variety of ways. Union Gospel Mission. This is a well-known Winnipeg-based ministry to the homeless and the working poor in central Winnipeg, providing meals, clothing, and shelter, while at the same time clearly sharing the good news of Jesus. There are also members of our church here who are, have been, and still are involved in that ministry. Then, of course, just not too far from here, we have the Youth for Christ Center in Stonewall. And this ministry provides a safe place for the youth of Stonewall and, sur and surrounding community to participate in good, wholesome, fun activities while the leaders and volunteers seek to help the youth understand what it means that Christ died for them and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We also have the Winnipeg Crisis Pregnancy Center, and this is a crucial ministry to women in the city of Winnipeg and surrounding area. A new recent ministry that we have adopted is Naomi House. And this is a ministry that provides a way to sponsor new refugees to Winnipeg and provide temporary housing, housing for them. This ministry is associated with our sister church called City Church. Mission Fest Manitoba. Mission Fest Manitoba is a yearly citywide missions conference weekend held the first weekend of February in Winnipeg. And it provides an opportunity for believers right across Manitoba to listen to speakers who talk about missions and to interact face-to-face -face with representatives of mission agencies from Canada and around the world. And uh, they actually have lined up, they are trusting God that they will have that weekend again coming up in February of next year. We'll see how things work out for that. We're also involved in publishing and distributing Bibles in Canada. Of course, we do it through an organization. In 2021, we've been supporting a ministry called Lifelong Ministries. It's been led by someone from our church, Ed and Marie Mullis. In 2022, we plan to support a different organization, but it has a similar purpose, and it's called Give the Word, publishing and distributing Bibles to people who do not have a Bible right now. I failed to mention and failed to notice, although they're not officially on our list, you heard, though, that there are a group of farmers within our, our congregation who are involved in a food grains project, raising, uh, uh, raising grain or growing grain uh, that can be shared for, for people in countries of need around the world. And we have a number of farmers that have been involved in that. The church has been involved as well, helping financially. 
So these are the missionaries and ministries that we are committed to supporting through prayer and financial gifts. And starting this month, we will be relaunching a monthly prayer focus that actually at the church we had in the past. And we're going to be relaunching that again. You'll notice in uh, that it will be coming out on a monthly basis. We're uh, focusing on one missionary or ministry per month and will be featured encouraging you to pray for them on a regular basis. See, our desire in all of this is that you, the congregation of the church, would be aware of our involvement in ministry for the sake of our Lord outside of the doors of our church right here in Stonewall. Making an impact in the rest of Manitoba, in Canada, and around the world. We are able, by God's gracious provision, to make an impact in making disciples of all people groups around the world. Let's just take a moment and just pray for these ministers. Father, we actually consider it a privilege that we're able to be involved with these missionaries and with these ministries that you have raised up for your glory. And so we turn to the Lord of the harvest and we say, Lord, would you provide for them? Would you give them wisdom during this time of COVID? Give them real wisdom. Give them courage. Encourage their spirits. Give them a heart of perseverance to carry on in ministry. And Lord, continue to work in our hearts. Remind us to pray for them that your name may be honored and glorified through their ministries here in our community or our area, but around the world as well. And we ask this all in the name of the Lord of the harvest, Jesus himself. Amen. As Daniel said, Rusty is away. And um, Rusty asked me if I would uh, share the word of God for this Sunday um, while he's away, kind of help Daniel a little bit with all of the responsibilities that he has while he's gone. I don't know about you, but I've been thinking a whole lot. <clears throat> it, you know, just about this whole COVID and the restrictions that we've been going through and the effect that it's been having on our church. It just seems like it's been so long since we've had anything that we could classify as normal that we begin to wonder what is normal really going to look like. Look like. But if there's anything of benefit from this, from this pandemic, sorry, and its corresponding restrictions that seems to always be changing, I think it forces us as a church community, followers of Jesus, to ask the question, what is the purpose of church anyway? What is the purpose of the church anyway? Well, I would like to suggest that the purpose of the church is for outsiders. 
The church exists for outsiders, for others. Now, there may be some people who would uh, actually not be in agreement with that. And they would have me go and say, listen, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. And so I'm going to say, yeah, let's do it. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2 and look at a passage where it is clear the church at the very beginning, when the, the, the very time when the church started, that was at the day of Pentecost, you know, at the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God came and God gave Peter a tremendous opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. He talked about Jesus, made the focus on Jesus. And it's at that moment that most people believe that the church started. And right at the very beginning, you see the church in operation. So in Acts chapter 2, if we look at verses 40, uh, 40, I said 40, it says 42 up there, but I have it down as 41, 42, that's right. Verses 42, not 41, verses 42, starting at 42. And I'm just going to read it. You can read it on the, up above there if you can see it. If not, uh, you could read it in your Bibles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, and all the believers were together, and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There are four main activities that are listed in this particular passage. It was teaching from the word, so the apostles were teaching the people. They were teaching them, of course, it would have to be from the Old Testament because they didn't have the New Testament. Or, I'm sure they were doing a lot of this too, they were teaching what they had learned from Jesus himself. So there was a lot of, there was that teaching going on. There was focus on the word of God. Secondly, there was fellowship. That means that deep sharing together, sharing their joys and their pains together. There was communal worship. They were praising God together. What better way to praise God than to do it together? Isn't it wonderful that we get to come together and actually praise God together? I love it because I, I love to have somebody who can play music. I can't. Uh, and to actually be able to worship, to sing songs old and new that praise God, and we can do it together. They were involved in corporate prayer. They were praying together. They were praying together for each other, and they were praying together for people who weren't part of their group. Now, there's no question that these activities are important aspects of church life, a local church. But I question whether they are the main purpose for why the church exists. I would like to suggest that there is an important reason for why we as believers are on earth, which we could not do if we were in heaven. 
we exist for others. The church exists for others. Its main purpose is external to itself. The activities that I noted above are activities that we will likely be doing for eternity in the presence of Jesus. I have a lot of questions. I'm going to ask all of those that God chose to use to write the scriptures. I'll be asking Jesus a lot of questions. I'll be worshiping. We'll be worshiping. We'll be fellowshipping together. But one thing, while we're here on earth, we have a significant responsibility that remains for us to be done. I want to share with you a quote that actually was mentioned by an American pastor. He's actually retired from the pastorate now at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, John Piper. And he has penned this short phrase that has become very influential in discussions about missions. He says this, missions exist because worship doesn't. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. Missions exist because worship doesn't. But immediately he got all kinds of reactions. And I can imagine what do you mean? Just a few minutes ago, we had a team up here that were leading us to worship. It does exist. Worship does exist. So what does he, what does he mean by saying missions exist because worship doesn't? Well, I actually, I, I'm not really good at technology, so I actually found a little clip a video clip that I at one point thought that I would show, but I didn't get my act together in time to get it set up quite right. I didn't give it to Daniel in time to get it set up, and I would not depend on myself to do it. You can see it on my computer because I saved it there, but I wasn't quite ready to share it here. Where he answers that question because he's been asked that so often, but he did make a reference to the fact that the first paragraph in this book is answering that question. So I'm just going to read it. By the way, the book is called Let the Nations Be Glad. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this, age is, when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. It really does make sense, doesn't it? When God created this world, and he placed the crown of his creation, those made in his image, on this earth, in the Garden of Eden. It was to have fellowship with them. That they would recognize him as the creator, their father. And they would worship him. They would glorify him. But we all know the story. Adam and Eve representing us said, now, 
through the temptation, of course, we know the story of the devil. They turned against that. And in essence said, instead of glorifying you, we will do our own thing. And as a result, that's the permeating feeling and nature that has come through. And we all live under that. But God wasn't done. God wasn't done with it. His ultimate purpose is to be honored and glorified. And so he began immediately a plan to be able to come back and redeem mankind from his present condition so that they would come back to honor him. So in essence, the goal of the Christian life, the goal of all creation is to bring glory and honor to God. So worship is the ultimate that God is looking for. And he's begun a plan to be able to restore worship throughout all his creation. That's his plan. But until that happens, mission exists. Missions exist. So that's what that statement really means. I'd like to just kind of flesh that out a little bit. I think the best way to understand that and appreciate it is to look to the Lord himself, Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, to be able to understand what really is involved. And if you turn to Luke chapter 4, now I have, I have, uh, whoop, bumping around here, there we go. Luke chapter 4 is uh, a passage that to me speaks a whole lot to the mission of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, the way it's broken down is, is, is really uh, geographically uh, easy, or not geographically, chronologically easy to follow through. Luke 1 and 2 talks about the birth of Jesus and the different aspects of, related to the birth of Jesus. Chapter 3 is actually preparing the way for Jesus' ministry. You have John the Baptist and you, you have the interaction there with John the Baptist, who, of course, was the one who was leading the way for Jesus to come. Then you have the baptism of Jesus in chapter 3. And then starting in chapter 4, the first few verses, you have the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, where he's actually tempted uh, before he begins his ministry. But then we come to Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14. When Jesus returned to Galilee, this is after spending some time in the wilderness, in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. I'd just like you to think, he would have been around 30 years old at this present time, and that region where he lived in, Nazareth, was a ministry at the area where he was in right now. He grew up as a boy. It actually said that, it, and well, we're going to look at the fact that he went to the synagogue every Sabbath, just like a young Jewish boy would. But he actually went to all the different synagogues, and because he was 30, he was allowed to actually be the one in the synagogue to maybe read a certain aspect of the Old Testament and give a basic explanation of it all, because he says there he taught in their synagogues. 
And everyone praised him. But this one Sabbath, in his home synagogue, Nazareth, he launches his ministry. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. See, they had all these different prophecies, all the different books. They would have had them on different scrolls. So this particular Sabbath, it's in the book of Isaiah. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and this is what he said. He read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of strength for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he stops reading from Isaiah the prophet. He rolls up the scroll and he gives it back to the attendant and he sits down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, normally, the speaker at that particular point would have given some sort of explanation and say, of course, you all know uh, men, because at that point, it was likely just men in the synagogue, by the way. Um, he would have said, man, of course, this refers to the one who's coming, that, that coming Messiah, the one who we're all looking for. When he comes, he's going to make it all right. He's going to turn it back to what God had intended it for ha to happen. So what does Jesus say? Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, that must have been quite a response. In fact, it goes on to say, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? They were familiar with his lineage, where he was from, etc., but Jesus actually launches something that was new. Instead of saying, yes, we're looking for that Messiah coming, he's saying today, it's fulfilled in your midst. And that's where Jesus launches his ministry. Because now, he reveals that he is the one that God has anointed to begin the kingdom of God. This is a, in, kind of an inauguration of the kingdom. Now, there was a sense in the Old Testament you could see things building to this point, but now Jesus says, we're launching into the kingdom. So he was reminding them, he was not reminding them that the kingdom of God is coming but he said that it's now here fulfilled in me. And he goes on, and this passage talks about the fact that he, he, the, the Spirit of God is on the Messiah to heal people, to preach good news, to proclaim freedom, recovery of sight for the blind, release the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God's favor is coming on the world. But in addition to launching the kingdom, 
which of course would have been based on the fact that certainly for that to happen, there needed to be a foundation of forgiveness of sin, which pointed to the cross, and that came and he rose from the dead. But that was not the only reason that Jesus came to earth, not just to die and to be raised from the dead. As a matter of fact, I've often thought, if that's all Jesus actually came to do, why didn't God just place him in Jerusalem a few days before he was to die and get on with it? It's because there was, it was absolutely foundational that he die and, rose and rise again. But there was something else that was being developed. Jesus, while he was on earth, was demonstrating the kingdom of God coming in the way that he ministered to people. It's coming. It's here now. And this is a foretaste of the fullness that's going to come in the future. Jesus was laying all that out. But he did one more other thing while he was here on earth. He actually started a movement. A people movement. And we can find that if we move over to the next passage that I want to look at, and that's in Mark chapter 3. So if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 3, or if you want to just follow up there, you can as well. I call it a people movement. He started a movement of people who would live out the kingdom and carry the message of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. In Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 13, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12. Now, it doesn't say this in the text, but you could actually put it because this is the understanding. He appointed 12 disciples. They were now disciples. And disciple means a learner, apprentice, someone who walks along with a rabbi, with a leader, to just learn all kinds of things. And that's what these 12 were. They were disciples. But it says there, designating them apostles. He designated them to be apostles. The word apostle means sent ones. So they were learners, but they were also being sent. There was a calling on their lives. Notice what the calling was. That they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. See, Jesus was preparing for a movement. This is what God's plan was. Jesus inaugurated it, but it wasn't to end by with Jesus on earth. It was a movement that was to carry on, and he started with these 12. Jesus then went on to die on the cross and was resurrected from the dead. And then the next point that I find important on this is just before he takes off to get into heaven, he gives them final commands. Matthew chapter 28 says, 
Then Jesus came to them and said, and notice all the elements of what he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You'll find in other passages it says the Father gave that authority to the Son. He says, I just want to remind you, all authority, there is no authority beyond him. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That word nations there actually is not the idea that we have often of Canada being a nation, that kind of thing. It actually means groupings of people who are grouped together for one reason or another. It could be a language, could be cultural, whatever it is. And he's basically saying all these, are, we call it people groups, groups of people. I want you to make disciples of all of them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then he gives a promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we see Jesus clearly passing on the mandate. That which he had received, the mantle, and he was taking it and passing it on to his disciples. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, there's a little bit more precise details. This is just immediately before he went into heaven. And he says, I want you to you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And there he kind of breaks it down a little bit geographically. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I like to read the book of Acts and see how they work it out. I want to direct you to a couple of passages in the book of Acts just to see how this is worked out. Because in Acts chapter 5, and we'll just go to Acts chapter 5. I actually had a story there in Acts chapter 4 as well, but we'll go to Acts chapter 5 and just look at Acts chapter 5. You have these disciples or apostles, as they're called. Apostles that are now in operation. Jesus has gone to heaven. And they're still in Jerusalem. And they're gathering in Jerusalem. And what are they doing? Well, actually what they're doing is they're sharing the good news of Jesus um, as he asked them to. And if you have your Bibles, it's not up on that, on that uh, particular screen there, but if you have your Bibles, in verse 21, it says, At daybreak, they, the disciples, entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. So they were out teaching the message that Jesus had given them to share, and they were teaching it. Well, the high priests didn't like what they were doing. So they called the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, which is the gathering of all the leaders who basically were over uh, the worship, the religious worship of the Jews. They gathered them together and they were not hap happy with what was going on. So in verse 27, I want you to look at there, 27. Having brought the, the apostles they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And this is what the high priest says. We gave you strict orders not to teach. What? In this name. Who? The name of Jesus. 
he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us feel guilty of this man's blood. And then I like the response of Peter and the other apostles. It wasn't just Peter, it was the other apostles too. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Well, it says in verse 33, when they heard them, they were furious, and they wanted to put him to death, but there was a guy named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who stood up and actually saved their life. Uh, and so instead of putting them to death, starting at verse 40, which is, I'm sorry, the next slide. There we go. Um, it says, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Okay, so they beat them. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then I just like this passage. So the apostles left the Sanhedrin and they said, well, maybe we should drop it. Let's just go home. No, they didn't say that. They left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. I like that. What an attitude. They not only said, we're going to grit our teeth and make it through this time. They actually said, wow, we get to suffer for Jesus. So day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They never lost sight of the mission of what they had been asked to do. There could have been a lot of reasons for them to do that. They faced a lot of persecution. You know that Stephen, he was killed because of his stance. There might have been just this temptation to kind of just walk away from it all, but they didn't. You know, when you think about it, Jesus encountered the same thing. He had all kinds of opposition. The Pharisees didn't like what he said. The Pharisees were always on his case. The Sadducees joined in. Uh, the chief priests and as a whole, they were always on his case. But he kept right on. Not only that, I think Jesus could have been sidetracked because actually he became very popular. And actually it's popularity that often kills things like this as well. He was very popular because the common people, they loved him. They liked a lot of he did. After all, they would give him food sometimes. But they also were great. They saw him healing people, doing good things. They really liked him. And there was no doubt the temptation in the heart and the life of Jesus to be tempted by all this great publicity. But you know what? It was not in the right direction. 
because it wasn't going to help him accomplish what he had actually come for. And you actually see in the scriptures where Jesus recognizes that he has to correct some things here. And actually it says that he spoke some very difficult things to these people and some of them actually walked away because they said, oh, that's what you're like. That's what you want to accomplish. I guess that's not for me. Jesus was not sidetracked with the reason for which he had been sent on earth. And he established a people group, a people movement that would carry on the same thing. Now, we don't have the time to go through uh, what I would love to be able to share with you too of what happened in the second and third centuries of the church. Because I'm not sure if you're aware, but in the those two particular centuries in the Roman Empire, there, was, um, there were at least two major pandemics that occurred. One of them, they think, was tied in with uh, smallpox. I think that was the one in 165 AD. And then there was actually another one in 215, I think it was, AD, that they feel was uh, likely malaria. And, or no, I'm sorry, measles started with M, okay. And uh, they say that in one of those, I think it was the first one, that there are statistics that likely show that between one quarter and one third of the population of the Roman Empire was wiped out through an epidemic. But you know, some of the, the writings that we read that come from that particular period of time and uh, I actually have an author who actually has developed that. Rodney Stark is his name. He's actually an American sociologist uh, historian who basically demonstrates that not only did the church continue to exist during that time, it actually grew during that time. And most of it was related to the way that the people, the believers, responded at that particular moment. And there were actually critics from outside who said, watch these Galileans, look at what they're doing. They're not only ministering to their own people during the time of these epidemics, they're actually ministering to our people. When what our people are doing is running off into the hills to stay away from it all. They demonstrated that despite the challenges of the epidemic, they had a calling that went above it. And they remained firm to that call. Now, where am I going? Well, it's basically for what's up on the chart there. I believe that the church exists for others. We exist for others. And my concern with this COVID and the restrictions dragging on and on, that what's going to happen is more and more, we are going to get so caught up in the moment that my prayer is that this would never happen, but that the church will start turning on itself. And we will start getting into divisions and, 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 and anger and suspicion of each other 
and we will lose our focus. The church exists for others. Praise God that we can, we can have fellowship together, we can have all kinds of things that we do together, and even though we're a bit restricted, we can still carry on doing some of those things today. And praise God that he opened up internet a while ago so that by the time we come to where we are now, that we can still relate to one another, even though it's a bit choppy and so forth, we can still have some of the benefits to be able to have fellowship and a number of these things that are important for church life. But let us never forget we exist for others. It's part of the plan that God has in mind. Today, we presented to you our missionaries and our ministries that God has led us to be involved in, in, in ministry that's just outside our doors and around the world. I, th I think it's wonderful that we can participate. Never forget that, okay? You are actually making an impact around the world. And continue to pray that that will grow and develop. And, and I know there's some things going on, even in our church fellowship, that we didn't even mention here that are going on around the world, not only just here, but around the world. But let us remember the church is for others. We must never forget... The, the impact that can be made in the interlake, in our lives, where we live, where we work, and so forth. Never forget that. Don't let COVID and its restrictions take us away from what God wants to use us to do. One day, there will be people gathering around worshiping God and even though English today is one of the most well-known nations, uh, languages in the world, we're going to be one day gathered around the throne and we're going to be hearing people praising God in all kinds of languages. And I don't know whether English will even be there, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? But we will have the opportunity. And may that be our vision. God, use me where I am to see your kingdom established around the world. So, mission exists because there isn't worship everywhere. But by God's grace, I trust that oh, a year from now, two years from now, uh, six months from now, there'll be more worship going on in the world because we are committed. The church exists for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege that you've given us to be involved in the lives of a number of people and ministries that you have given to us. And we do continue to pray for them. But we also thank you, Lord, that you've given us a mandate that we ourselves are involved in. And my prayer is that, Lord, preserve us, preserve the unity of our church. Preserve, Father, also the calling on our church and help us to never forget the calling on our lives so that more and more people, especially in this day when people are struggling with lack of hope and fear, insecurity, Oh God, may we see many people come 
and find their hope in Jesus during this time. Use us to that end, I pray. May your spirit continually remind us of the calling on our lives. And it's in his name, the Lord of the harvest, that I pray this. Amen.